A famous artist is attributed to have said, learn the rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist. And with a career lasting over 75 years, this artist is credited by the Guinness World Records as creating around 100,000 prints and engravings, 34,000 book illustrations, around 13,500 designs and paintings, and over 300 ceramics and sculptures. His lasting influence would be to help create an entire form of art which broke against all norms of the art world in the early 1900s. This new form of art, cubism, would focus not on nature, but on two-dimensional subjects who would in turn be disassembled and reformed into geometrical shapes in order to evoke the essence of the subject. Of course, we should all know who I am speaking of. The artist, Pablo Diego José Francisco de Paula Juan Nepomuceno María de los Remedios Cepriano de la Santísima Trinidad Martir Patricio Clito Ruiz y Picasso. However, in order to become as famous as he did, Picasso learned hard and fast rules. He learned the rules of thumb, and he learned the various nuances of art so that he could manipulate and break them in a way that was constructive and positive. Now, what if I told you similar things could be done for assessments? While we won't be breaking the rules per se, we can manipulate the rules to help scaffold learning within the test itself. Welcome to the Instructor's Kit Bag, an Army Logistics University podcast for all educators based out of Fort Lee, Virginia. I am your host, Nate Ball, and the purpose of this podcast is to help all of us perfect our teaching and keep driving us to learn about our profession. So in episode six, we discuss the different forms of assessments and how we classify them. Whether an assessment is formative or summative, informal or formal, norm referenced or criterion referenced, internal or external, and finally, aptitude or achievement based. Whew, okay. Now, let's discuss what our whole purpose for creating the assessment is. In order to do this, I want to focus on a summative assessment that we will give to our students and briefly mention how we can use formative assessments to help bolster achievement and confidence in tackling the summative test. Caveat. In this specific exercise, we will focus on a written summative assessment that follows a multiple choice format. In a future episode, maybe we'll go over the various forms of assessment questions and the do's and don'ts of each, but for now, we're going to focus on multiple choice and their use. So step one in creating our assessment. First, we must identify our need for a summative assessment used as the final of a unit or as the final of the course. Step two, what's the purpose? Now, this is more important than some people think. Do we want this assessment to only give us the data on how much a student has learned? Do we want the assessment to continue the learning process? And can we do both? The reason this is so important is that many students and educators view a summative assessment as a marker in how much a student knows. And while this is true, there are many who do not view the assessment as a way to continue the learning process and continue to teach the student on the content. For me personally, I wanna do both. And how this can be beneficial for the student is even if the student should fail and they have the option of a retest or a second chance, they will have a better chance of passing on their second attempt. Step three, we need to write the assessment in a way that builds confidence and continues learning. Some people may view the build confidence as handholding and see it as a negative. For me, who has had test anxiety and used to also believe that building confidence within a test was creating something easy for students, I can say this, so what? Building confidence within a test doesn't mean you need to dumb down a test or give the student a multiple choice question with three silly answers and a correct one. It's scaffolding a test for better results. And besides, as an educator, I no longer see myself as a gatekeeper, someone who stands between a student and success. 
Rather, I view my job as someone who is there to educate, not terminate. Now, writing an assessment in a way to continue learning is more simple and purposeful than it may initially seem. We can apply Bloom's taxonomy to help us with the framework and make sure we are not only covering content, but doing so in a fashion that lets us build more difficult questions off of easier ones as the test progresses. The way this works is by using a verb list from a reputable source and sticking to that verb list for consistency. This applies to the U.S. Army as well, but we're going to use the approved verb list from our Training and Education Developer Toolbox, or TED-T. Because Bloom's taxonomy has a structured tier system of cognitive difficulty levels, we can use that same system in framing our assessment. For example, we can begin our test with questions at the C1 level, or the lowest level of Bloom's taxonomy. For example, questions that ask to recall, which is a C1 verb, such as, who was the inventor of the steam engine? Or questions that ask to identify, which is a C1 verb, a taxonomy is the same as blank. So these are C1 level type questions. Beginning with C1 questions allows the students to progress in an increasingly difficult advancement through the assessment. By the end of the assessment, the student should be answering questions at the C3 and higher depending on how difficult you need your assessment to be. Again, for example, we can ask the student to apply, which is a C3 verb, which would look like, what instrument would an electrician need to verify power is turned off? Or we could go higher with the C4 verb, analyze, with a question like, the main reason to place chocks behind the wheels of a truck is to blank. No matter what we do, we need to think about structuring the assessment with simpler questions first and then increasing the difficulty throughout. Okay, let's go over a few of the do's of multiple choice. Minimize the amount of words or reading. Unless you are testing reading comprehension, don't worry about flooding a question with all sorts of words. Use plausible distractors. That is, make answers that make sense. Don't use silly ones. Write questions at the appropriate grade level. What I was told before is don't use a 25 cent word when a 5 cent word will do. If using negative words such as but or except, place them at the end of the question and bold and underline them to emphasize to the student what you are asking. All right, let's go over some of the don'ts. Don't use all of the above or none of the above. Historically, that's what the answer is predominantly going to be, but also are you throwing that in to trip students up? Which segues into the next don't. Don't try to trick your students with wordplay. Remember, the goal is to educate, not terminate. Don't use silly answers. I used to, in some of my tests, do some silly answers just to get a chuckle. Don't allow one question to be the answer or clue to another question. Don't use double negatives. Don't use direct textbook or graphic quotes. Don't use grammatical clues or other clues. For example, if the end of the question ends with an and three of your four answers do not start with a vowel, but the correct answer does, that's a grammatical giveaway. Overall, most of the don'ts sound like ways to trip up or trick the student. And I'm not interested in that personally as I want them to learn the material. I want them to give me their best effort and I want them to learn more in the process. So in summary, when writing your assessment, look at how to manipulate questions that help the student versus hinder the student. Are you interested in tricking them? Are you interested in tripping them up? And that could be the case. Some assessments violate those rules on purpose for various reasons, but again, they do so with a purpose in mind. Do not, however, trick or trip up students simply because it's easier to write poorly worded questions or it's easier to write lazy questions. Also, look at how to structure an assessment with Bloom's taxonomy. It's a good framework for an assessment. Now, it's not the end-all be-all, of course, but it helps you to framework an assessment in a very linear fashion if that's what you so desire. 
Now, I'm going to go ahead and talk about a problem some of you may have already asked yourselves. What if the test is a randomized test? Well, short answer, that throws a carefully constructed assessment that increases in difficulty linearly out the window. However, using Bloom's taxonomy, you can still make sure your test has a certain number of C1, C2, C3 questions throughout it. You lose that linear fashion, but you don't lose the difficulty levels. And if the students are able to backtrack, you could still use questions to help others out. Of course, if you want to, that is. So that's it for how to write an assessment with purpose instruction. One thing I wanted to point out are formative assessments, which tend to be informal and not necessarily taken for a grade. Some people do not like formative assessments in the form of questions that will later be on a summative assessment. Again, that's up to you and what you want to do. Once you learn the rules, you may of course break them. But using formative assessments, however you desire, with exact questions or questions similar to it, if it's a math or science, maybe it's something that builds a certain skill that they will need in that summative assessment. But always think of formative assessments as ways to help strengthen a concept, strengthen definitions, or strengthen skills that the student will be applying on their summative assessment. Now before we go, I wanted to leave you with this little nugget from Picasso. Guinness World Records listed him as one of the most prolific artists ever, but there's something else his paintings are known for. They are some of the most stolen paintings in the world. In 2012, the Art Loss Register listed 1,147 works by Picasso as having been stolen. In fact, a piece, called Head of a Woman, had been given to the National Art Gallery of Athens for the Greek people's resistance to the Nazis, and in the year of 2012 was also stolen, and recovered last year in 2021 found in a shallow hole in a gorge. And that's the end of our episode for Army Logistic University's The Instructor's Kit Bag, a podcast for all educators, and remember, never stop teaching, and never stop learning.